Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, back and worse than ever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. We're live as always from the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. The hashtag crew has assembled around me. Uh, for those just joining us here, I'll give you another couple of quick thoughts on the Jets from last night. And then I'm, I'm just going to move on to other things because I'm just depressing myself and it's becoming repetitive. Um, we've got the podcast. We basically did the whole first hour on it. So um, with the exception of Hembo's children having uh, eye, foot, what is it? Hand, foot, what is it? They are smitten by hand, foot, and mouth disease. Yeah, they have hand, foot, and mouth disease. And, and, and that, that was a respite. <laughs> so like, if you want some indication of what happened in the first hour, the most cheerful thing we had was Hembo's kids having hand, foot, and mouth disease. So um, I, I will just say there's one good question here on my Google Doc that, Cam, I assume you put there, which is, do you believe that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala's stubbornness when it comes to Zach Wilson will cost them their jobs? I do not. I do not think either of them are in any jeopardy of losing their jobs, barring something unforeseeable. And that, that unforeseeable, there are two ways they lose their jobs. One, if things get so ugly that the locker room really fractures and splinters, and, and I just don't think that will happen because, I, honestly, I don't think Rodgers lets it happen. I actually think he's that important a piece of this. And I don't think anyone can look at the situation right now and say Robert Sala hasn't done, on balance, a good job. There are any number of things I would nitpick, but at the end of the day, if, if you take, I, I don't even like saying these out loud because it's like you're speaking them into existence, but I mean, if, if you lose, if you're Kansas City and you lose Patrick Mahomes, if you're, uh, you know, the Eagles and you lose Jalen Hurts, if you're this team or that team and you lose your quarterback on the first series of the season, four and four is a pretty good outcome at this point. So I can't complain about that. And Douglas, look, he's just drafted too many good players for me to sit here and say that he deserves to be fired. There are a lot of things you can complain about with him as well. But on balance, you cannot say he hasn't put together a good roster. Then the other overwhelming factor in all of this is that Aaron Rodgers is the one making most of these decisions. Nathaniel Hackett's not getting fired. He has perfect job security. Alan Lazard's not getting cut, even though he's awful. He has perfect job security. The decisions that are being made are Aaron's to make. And as I told you before the season began, I don't mind that. Because we've tried it every other way and it hasn't worked my whole life. And certainly over the last decade or so, the Jets have been a terrible franchise. They've been terribly run. They keep hiring and firing general managers and coaches and it never works. So don't do that. Bring in a guy who can, who can identify talent, which this general manager can. Bring in a coach that the players I think generally like and play for and has a clue, which I think this coach does. And then bring in a freaking genius, bring in like the best guy ever in Aaron Rodgers and let him try and take it where it could go. I think that was the right call. And assuming he can get healthy again and be back next year, then I think it's the right call to stick with it. So the answer is I don't think they fire anybody. No, I think you're right. Uh, Most of this season can be ascribed to bad luck. Uh, Although I will say, given the body of work that we have with Zach Wilson, I don't think it is in any way unreasonable to sit here and say the Jets should have absolutely identified a quarterback before the trade deadline that should at least challenge him for that job. And when you consider what Josh Job, Josh, excuse me, Josh Dobbs just did in Minnesota in game one, I mean, he already knows the Jets playbook better than Zach Wilson does. I mean, to give up a six-round pick for that guy, I think would have been a very reasonable and straightforward move to make. Yeah, they, they were busy trying to get Devontae Adams, which of course would have also been great, but would primarily have been a gesture towards Rodgers. Look, everything the Jets are doing right now is aimed at him. It is aimed at an audience of one. And, again, I don't have a problem with it. I don't. 
I, I don't want to go back to John Idzik and and uh, what's the other guy? Um, McCagnan. Uh, yeah, uh, McCagnan and, and 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 to Todd Bowles and to God help us, Adam Gase and all these other terrible decisions the Jets have made over the years. So you got guys in place that you believe in. They certainly haven't done enough to say they can't get this job done. Leave them in place and let them try it. All right. Anyway, the, the whole first hour was on them. If you're interested, the podcast will be up a little bit later, and you can hear all of my thoughts as I just somewhat sadly howl uh, in, uh, towards the moon. In the meantime, the scoop. Here's a really interesting note. John Orand is a writer for the Sports Business Journal, and he does a, a media podcast with a guy named Andrew Marchand, who writes for the New York Post. And they do, um, they talk about the sports media business. They talk primarily about like, like shows like ours, like the, what ESPN is doing and what the networks are doing and all that kind of stuff, which, which I don't, I don't know how much, uh, the general public is interested in, but certainly everyone in our business is interested in it and follows it. And Orand had a really interesting note. The Chiefs game on Sunday morning. So that game kicked off 9.30 a.m. Eastern time on NFL Network from Frankfurt, Germany. That's 8.30 in the morning, Kansas City time. That game posted a 94 share in Kansas City. 94. That means, in case it's not obvious, that of all the televisions that were in use at that time in Kansas City, in that television market, 94% of them were watching the Chiefs and Dolphins. That is in the running for the highest local share ever for any NFL game, if not for any sports event, period. That is incredible if you think about it, right? Unbelievable. 94% out of every television, out of every 10 televisions that were on, nine and a half of them were watching the Chiefs game at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday. In case you're wondering why the NFL puts games in this time slot, they like carving out a special niche primetime where – like, you have a captive audience. So, and we know Chris Russo hates the early Sunday games because he's taking his wife out to brunch and to church. You know, he made that clear last week on first take, which is very funny. But he's the exception. When it's the only show in, ta- uh, show in town, for lack of a better term, everyone's watching this. Question for you is, it says 94, it doesn't say 100. Right. What are the other 6% watching if you're waking up in Kansas City on a Sunday morning? I, I would like to see, and, I, and I, when I say the game was on NFL Network, I, obviously it was on a, 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 an over-the-air channel there. They always put the cable games on over-the-air networks in, in the local markets. Um, I would like to know that. Like, I, I assume there's some sort of religious programming on it a Sunday morning. Yeah, Joel Osteen. You would know that. Yeah. Um, Very a famous televangelist. Better than I would. So, mm-hmm. so maybe like six percent of the people were watching that, or you watch, maybe you have little kids and they're in the other room watching, right? You know the the backyardigans or whatever the today's version of the what? What do the your backyardigans? What do you, that was a TV show when my kids were little tiny. You just kids made that up. Watched. No, I swear. <laughs> no, my sister watched. There that. was a show called The Backyardigans. Whatever. These were like little kids shows. You know that. Well, what 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 little kids shows are there now? I'm long past. They that. watch a, a woman by the name of Miss Rachel on YouTube. That's the that's YouTube. The, mm-hmm. Little kids are watching YouTube now. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Like my kids grew up in the era of television. We still put in we still popped in DVDs like we would put in a DVD of the Wiggles or, or, or something like that. What did you watch when you were 15 months old? Well, I don't know about 15 months old, but when I was old enough that I can remember it, I watched Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, The Electric Company. 
Do you know who one of the stars of the electric company was? Hmm. We've really taken a turn here. Morgan Freeman. Really? Yes. Legendary Oscar-winning actor Morgan Freeman was, uh, was, on the, um, was on the show The Electric Company. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. 94% of the TVs in Kansas City were watching it. All right. I was really happy with the green list I did on TV today. Let's do that. The list is what determines who matters in this business. All right, so here's what the green list is for those of you who are new to the program, and we haven't been doing them as much lately. I put together my top five, this, that, or the other. They are voted on exclusively by me because I am the world's foremost authority on all matters. And today I want to make clear that the five is not meant to be taken as an order. I'm going to give you the five coaches on the hot seat, but it's not meant to be number one is the hottest seat. It is that I've divided them up into five different categories so we can explore them okay so these are my five different categories of coaches on the hot seat number five five is ron rivera and matt eberflus they're both already fired both of them have been fired they just haven't been told that yet there are for all intents and purposes no circumstances in which they are coaching their respective teams next season. Do you agree with that? Uh, I agree with that. I think what's going to happen here is Ron Rivera is going to be fired. He's going to find out with a Magic Johnson tweet that he uses via <laughs> chat GPT. That's what's going to happen. We regret to inform you, Ron. We, we fired our coach, Ron Rivera, today after we went 6 After and losing more games than we won uh, yeah. this season. Uh, come on. And there was, there was no magic slander here. Fair enough. No, look, I like I like Ron Rivera. I've always liked him. I, I've known him a long time. But what the writing is on the wall. And, and they lost games this year. They should have won. The minute he didn't go for the two at the end of that first game against the Eagles because his offense was too gassed, the writing was on the wall. And I know they won a game this past weekend. No one expected them to. But I believe he will be fired. And Matt Eberflus, it's time for another reset in Chicago. It's it, well, look, it's 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 been two years, so you got to start the organization all <laughs> over again. You've gone two years without one. You, you let a guy coach your team two years. What more do you want? So they got to reset. So Ron Rivera, Matt Eberflus, they're already fired. Number four, Brandon Staley is at number four now. Of course, he wins last night. They're four and four. The ownership situation with the Chargers is such an unusual one. At the end of the day, they're just cheap. They don't want to pay anybody anything. But I don't know how he's still the coach of that team. They're a badly coached team, last night notwithstanding. And I have to believe that if they do not make the playoffs this year and even win a playoff game, I mean, after getting to the playoffs last year, having a 31 nothing lead and losing, that's one of the worst losses in football history. I, I was surprised he, that he survived that. They have Kellen Moore there, who a lot of people like. If you don't want to pay a lot of money, run out Staley and give more the job. Sean Payton wanted it. I think Jim Harbaugh will want it. I think there'll be high-profile people who want it. I don't know if they'll pay that kind of money for it. I don't know that Staley is going to get fired because I still think that's a team that might accomplish something this year, but it's unlikely. He's a defensive coach, and their defense stinks, last night notwithstanding. So I believe Staley, when push comes to shove, will be fired at the end of the year. I think he has to win a playoff game to survive. The defense stinks. That's supposed to be his expertise. And I think, honestly, Justin Herbert's kind of been neutered under him. And I don't think that's fair either because Herbert's talent is through the roof. Yeah, he's just too good to be this average. Number three. So number three, I have Arthur Smith, the coach of the Falcons, who are the most confounding team in the NFL. He shaved his mustache at 345 in the morning because he felt he needed to change up the mojo. 
Uh, that's the one really good decision he has made because that mustache was ridiculous. I don't have the first idea what's going on. They hired Arthur Smith because he's an offensive guru. He's one of these great offensive minds. And he shows up on a team with Kyle Pitts, super high draft pick. Drake London, super high draft pick. Bijan Robinson, super high draft pick. And seems to want to use none of them in his offense. What are we doing here, people? What's he doing? What point is he trying to make? What did B. John Robinson do to him? I'm confounded by that. And if I'm the owner, I want answers. And I don't know what they're going to be. But if that team does not at least make a run at a playoff spot, I have to believe serious questions are going to be asked. Yeah, not only are they misusing first-round draft picks all around their offense— but they, for some reason, elected not to trade draft picks for Lamar Jackson, who was exceedingly available. That seemed to be like the one obvious place that he could go and make work instantly. Arthur Smith did a really good job in Tennessee, but like a lot of people, he was just better off being a coordinator. He had that thing figured out. But what's happening in Atlanta right now is most certainly confounding. Yeah, and and people are there are saying, I, I think Arthur Smith said something like, well... You know, this is all stuff that we're hearing from fantasy people. The fantasy people, uh, they're just upset. because No, it's not. This is your real team. <laughs> this has nothing to do. I don't have him on my fantasy team. I don't care about my fantasy team. I don't understand how you have first and goal from inside the 10 and Bijan Robinson is not on the field. First down, second down, or third down. What is the thinking there? Why did you draft him? They have the number 25 offense in the NFL right now. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. So that, that strikes me as one that could come open. The top two are by far the most interesting. So let me pause here on that thought. I'll come back and I'll give you the top two. Because they will be the overwhelming stories of the second half of this season and most importantly of the postseason. We'll get to those next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, again, we spent uh, pretty much the first hour and change of our show today 
going over the remnants of the Jets in their game last night with the Chargers. That'll all be on the podcast, which will be up in a little while. I, I felt obligated to go in a few other directions today because, A, it just depressed me too much, and B, I just can't keep talking about it. At some point, you just become like a broken record. It's just so awful. Anyway, we're going through today's green list, and I will catch you up on where we are for those of you just joining us. My green list is that at this basically the midway point of the NFL regular season, there are five different categories of coaches on the hot seat. And I broke them up into five different categories. At number five, I put Ron Rivera and Matt Eberflus, for whom I believe the die has been cast. They're already fired. At number four, Brandon Staley, who I believe has a chance to coach his way into his job. But I think once and for all, he's going to have to make a playoff run to do it. Number three, Arthur Smith, who I think think still remains a well-respected offensive coach, but for the life of me, I have no idea what he's doing in Atlanta with all that offensive talent, so I have to believe there will be a reckoning of some sort. That was five and four and three. Cam, give me my music back. Let's get to number two. Number two. And that's Mike McCarthy. And, Bob, I want to bring you into the conversation on this one. Uh, Mike McCarthy certainly has every opportunity to coach his way into continuing to be the head coach of the Cowboys. I think they're good enough to win playoff games this year. They're also easily good enough not to. And if we see something in the playoffs like we have the last couple of years and like we saw on Sunday, where it once again appears to be a coaching issue in Dallas, my inclination would be to say they're going to change coaches. Now, it's worth pointing out that while we sometimes compare Jerry Jones to George Steinbrenner, because they're both bombastic and larger than life and the most well-known owners in their sport. The truth is that Steinbrenner was very, very uh, impulsive, and Jerry is not. He didn't fire Jason Garrett forever. He doesn't make these changes. So do you believe if there is another, let's just say this game that we watched on Sunday, Bubba, played, it played itself out exactly in the playoffs. Right. Do you believe he fires... Mike McCarthy, even if the team won 10 or 11 games in the regular season? I, I honestly don't. I, I think he, they should. And I, I think they need to. He has a five-year contract. This is his fourth year. He'd have one more year left on his deal. I think they do need to move on unless they get to at least the NFC Championship game, if not the Super Bowl. But for whatever reason, Jerry like really seems like infatuated with McCarthy. I don't understand why. And I, I, I think like barring... and. An even more abject disaster than we've seen. I think McCarthy is coming back, really, no matter what happens. You know, I I think, and I don't know this, and I have a lot of respect for Jerry Jones, and and I've met him a few times, and he's super charming and all the rest of that. But I think the ability to manage him is the most important quality in a coach there. He liked Jason Garrett for whatever reason, and he likes Mike McCarthy for whatever reason. Whatever it is those guys say, however they include him whatever it is they do he likes and that's what he wants that job is not for everyone I don't think that job is for Sean Payton it certainly wasn't for uh, Bill Parcells it's not for guys who are going to come in there and say we're doing this my way again if I'm Jerry Jones and I'm 80 years old I want to win one more Super Bowl and I, I may have made up my mind already this guy can't lead me there but that's why I put McCarthy in his own category because I just don't know what the owner is going to do yeah Bubba's right about that that contract situation it's going to mean that they can't go into next year with him as a lame duck like they'll have to make a decision this offseason and they also have to make a decision this offseason about Dak Prescott which is another complicated one I mean because we know he's a good but not great quarterback 
when you complicate things is the fact that Dan Quinn is a proven head coach in the NFL just sitting there waiting, and it seems like a lot of people are intrigued by what this team might look like if he were the head coach. So this is going to be one of the more pivotal off-seasons the Cowboys have ever faced, and I think the only way we don't get those questions is if they at least reach the Final Four. All right, so we have all those. That's 5-4-3-2, and now finally... Number one. Number one is Bill Belichick. So let's lose the music just as quickly as we put it up. What's going to happen? We played you the sound bites yesterday of Belichick being asked if he's been given any assurance that he will still have his job after their game in Frankfurt Sunday against the Colts. Wow, life comes at you fast. You win six Super Bowls. You're the most accomplished head coach of all time for this franchise. And now people are asking you, and the question feels legitimate, do you know you're still going to be the coach of this team next week? That's remarkable. I'll say this. I don't see practically Anyway, Robert Kraft fires Bill Belichick in season. I don't even know why I said practically. There's no chance that happens, right? There's, there's none. That, 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 I think Kraft is a very classy person, and I think that would be unclassy beyond belief. You know, Jerry Jones, I think there are still people in Dallas who hate him because of the way he fired Tom Landry. He didn't let Landry leave gracefully. He walked in and fired a guy who at that time had been the only coach the franchise ever had and who was the face of that team in every way. Maybe as much as, you know, it's, it's hard to describe now because all you guys are too young, even Bubba, a Cowboys fan, is too young to remember this. But Tom Landry was probably as, um, what's the word I'm looking for, representative of the Cowboys as any coach had ever been for any team. I mean, the Cowboys came into existence in 1960. Here we are the early 1990s, he was the only coach they ever had. And they won a ton of Super Bowls. I mean, there were no Dallas Cowboys without Tom Landry. And he was so well-respected and so beloved and such a, just such a, such a, uh, I'm not sure how to describe it. He was bigger, it felt, than a team, than a game. And so just to walk in and fire him, that was something. You can't say he got it wrong. He brought in Jimmy Johnson, who did an unbelievable job, and they won, you know, three basically three Super Bowls with that group, even though Jimmy was only there for the first two. But what I'm saying is you don't fire Bill Belichick. But I do think, I do, that this will be Belichick's last year coaching the Patriots. So the questions, the easy question is, how do they frame that? I think that's the easy part they'll figure out a classy way to do it. The complicated one is, does Bill coach again? Does he want to go coach somewhere else? The team, Washington, will continue to be thrown out there. Tannenbaum's been talking about that on Get Up for a month. Their owner wants to get a stadium built. They want to get, you know, momentum, you know, go higher. The winningest coach of all time. That's one that might make sense. There are a few that might make sense. The real question is, does Bill want to coach again? That one I don't know the answer to. My gut feeling is yes. But I think he will be he will not be the coach of the Patriots next year. What he's doing remains to be seen. Let me push back on that. I don't fully disagree, but I want to compare it to another legendary coach, which I think is probably the closest comp in sports right now, and that's Greg Popovich, who over the previous four seasons, his teams lost sixty seven more games than they won. Over a four year span. He's still with the team. They get the number one overall pick. It's Victor Wembanyama. His career now gets to experience this kind of 
resurgence. Let's live in a world in which the Patriots, lo and behold, get the number one or number two pick in the draft. And Bill Belichick has the chance now to start from scratch with a quarterback prospect that will inevitably be described as a generational one. Do you like the comparison? Do you not like the comparison? And do you think there's any learn there from what the Spurs did in retaining Greg Popovich? I do like the comparison. Here's here's where I think they're different. I think the Spurs became this aging, great team. They decided to keep it together as long as they possibly could, understanding that when Duncan and Ginobili were done, they were going to bottom out. I don't think the Patriots were expecting this. I don't think Kraft was expecting this. When Brady left, he kept their heads above water with Cam for a year. Then they drafted the future, and they made the playoffs. So I think these last two years have been somewhat startlingly disappointing, and I think the finger of blame can really largely be pointed at Bill. What he did with the coaching staff last year, like there's no one in NFL history who ever had more total control over an operation than Bill does. He's in charge of the talent. He's in charge of the coaching staff. His son is the defensive coordinator. He decided to give Joe Judge and Matt Patricia the offensive role last year, which no one ever would have approved if it hadn't been for him. He selects, again, all the players. So if we think that the roster has taken an unpredicted dip, massive dip, forget dip, chasm has fallen off a cliff, and they're terrible, and they drafted a quarterback, and he's awful. I could see saying, you know what? It's time for some new blood. It's time to start this over again with someone who isn't 70. The Spurs decided not to do that. That's one way to go about it. But I wouldn't have blamed them if they had. Um, You know, I, I understand what you're saying. I think there's a reasonable comparison. But I think I blame Belichick more for what's happened in New England than I blame uh, Popovich, what happened in San Antonio. Yeah, I agree with you, and that ultimately is why I think he'll be gone, is that he's not just the coach. The program that he's built, and the way that the program is trending, and they have a bottom, to, to, me, to put it conservatively, they have a bottom five roster. Belichick is solely to blame for that. So what they actually need is an entire program reset. You can't divvy up the responsibility. You can't put the toothpaste half back in the tube with the greatest coach that ever lived. I think Honestly, at the end of the season, Bill Belichick will look at, you know, look at himself in the mirror and say, this is the best thing for me, too, and then he'll get to decide whether or not he wants to coach elsewhere. Yeah, I think he wants... The question I don't have an answer to, and no one will, is how much of a motivation is the all-time wins record, which is held by Don Chula, and he's... Remind me, how many games? 20-something? He's, he's still seasons away. I'll pull up the list now. Uh, but he's also pretty close to the all-time losses record, too. Yeah, but that doesn't... I, I don't think that would bother me. You have to coach a lot. You have to be a really successful coach to, to lose that many games. That, that's, that, to me, is less of a, of a factor because he has a hell of a lot more wins than he has losses. Yeah, he's still 28 away from Shula. 28. So the question is, does he want to coach another, let's call it three years, four years, uh, optimistically? He's how old now? 71? Is that right? Is he 71? Uh, he, he is. He's, yes, he's 71. 71. So, you know, does he want to coach at least 75, 76? Look, his father was a football coach. I think this has been his life all his life. I don't think he's someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about, oh, someday when I retire, I'm going to do this or that. I don't think he has another mountain he wants to climb. I think he will coach somewhere else next year. And this already is his second opportunity as a head coach. I want to give great credit to Cam and Bubba 
whoever or both that did the research on this because it is absolutely outstanding. Let's dive into it. The Scoop. What made us talk about this yesterday? I said aloud, who is the, the worst coach? McDaniels, co- right? Josh McDaniels, that's what it was. The fact that the, the, um, the Raiders hired Josh McDaniels and that it ended the way it did is one of the really embarrassing, terrible coaching decisions that we've ever seen. Because we're putting him on the Mount Rushmore of worse. Mount on, Suckmore. On, yeah. That's right, on Mount Suckmore. On the Mount Rushmore of worst coaches ever to get two different head coaching jobs. So, Cam, I assume this was your research? Really yeah, well bu- done. Bubba and I were working on it working yesterday on it together. together, and we were surprised how many really bad coaches got two chances. Like, this list is longer than we thought. Okay, so these are coaches who had two or more head coaching stints, not including interim. So interim doesn't count. First, I'll tell you the ones that have the actual worst winning percentage, because that's the right place to have begun the research. The coach who had at least two tenures and had the worst winning percentage of all time is Hugh Jackson. He coached the Raiders <laughs> and the Browns. He was 11-44-1. He coached the Raiders, got fired, got the job with the Browns, went winless, and then got fired. So he did the job as, as they wanted him to. <laughs> yeah. You know That's what's right. incredible is he was 8-8 eight and eight with the Raiders. And then went one and thirty-one in two seasons with the Browns, and I think three and thirteen mm-hmm. the other year. Oof. A hard record to beat. That's a tough one. So he has the worst winning percentage. Then, and someone has to explain this to me. Somehow, Jimmy Fallon is on this list, and I don't know why that is. I mean, is that what? Wh- why did you write Jimmy Fallon on this list? Uh, this would be Jimmy Fallon, I believe, is from the from the forties and fifties, a coach with the Dons, the Yanks, and the Texans. I can't <laughs> believe you don't remember him. Oh, he coached the Dons, the Yanks. And the Texans. And then he had a very successful late-night talk show after that. Yes. He coached three teams that don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. and he has the second-worst winning percentage. Pat Shermer is next. Pat Shermer coached the Browns very badly, and then inexplicably the Giants hired him, and he kept that job for two years. He's, he's been largely forgotten because then they hired Joe Judge, and he was so much worse, it made you forget just how awful Pat Shermer was. And now he's terrible at play calling for Colorado. So he is now third on the list of worst one-loss record for coaches who had more than one job. Fourth is Joe Bugle, and fifth is Marion Campbell. So those are not really household names. Hugh Jackson, Jimmy Fallon, Pat Shermer, Joe Bugle, and Marion Campbell. Not household names. I mean, Phelan is a household name. Phelan is a household Jimmy name? Jimmy Fallon's a household name. You're describing Jimmy Fallon, the coach of the Dons, Yanks, and Texans, as a household yeah, name. Famed World War I vet. Came back and was wildly successful in college and the pros. And on SNL. This is my era. What do you mean he was wildly successful? He was 13-35-2. In college. He was wildly successful. How, where did he coach in college? He coached at, at Purdue, at St. Mary's, at a few other places. He, he, he was in the College Football Hall of Fame, for okay. God's sake. In the NFL, he was 13-35-2. Mm. Having said that, I said to Cam, these aren't household names. These aren't people everyone will know. Give me some that are much more recent and that everyone will remember. So here are some of the others who have gotten two head coaching jobs. Who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of... Coaches that you say, I cannot believe someone hired them twice. Here are the names. Dennis Allen, he's the coach of the Saints right now. Mm -hmm. Dom Capers. (laughs) Romeo Romeo Cornell. Josh McDaniels. Todd Bowles. And Adam Gase. Those are the options. 
Now, of these, how many of them made the playoffs? Um, I, I, I think... Capers did. did. Capers made... Capers, I think, made the NFC Championship game yes. like in the second 96. year of the Panthers' mm-hmm. existence. Good pull. Todd Bowles was... Very, very average with the Jets and is now very, very average with the Buccaneers. Made the playoffs last year, though. And Gase made the playoffs. Uh, Gase made the playoffs with the Dolphins, right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly wasn't with us. Uh, McDaniels, Cornell, Capers, Dennis Allen. I think Dennis Allen's probably the worst on there. I don't know. He's coaching now. They what what the is their record? Year. Yeah, they're, they're going to win the worst record? division. They're, they're, they're five and yeah, four. They're five and four. They but may win with Oakland, worst. he was four and twelve, four and twelve, zero oh and four, and got fired, and then got another job. Well, he just was in the right place at the right time, right? Sean Payton just walked away, and he was in the building. Like, is that is that, that, is that, is that how that like. worked? Yeah, out? they hired the person nearest in proximity. <laughs> he was seven <laughs> and ten last year. What are we doing? Who's that guy? <laughs> I was also finding in the research a lot of these guys, not like the worst ones, like we just read out, were Jets coaches. Like Mangini's pretty low down there. Kotite's pretty about, low yeah, down Wait there. a minute. Why is Rich Kotite's name not because on this list? Because his winning percentage is so much better than all these other guys. He it was, is? Yeah, he was good with the Eagles for a couple years. He forget. was? He was 40 yeah. and 56. Let's not pretend like Rich uh, Kotite was Vince Lombardi. Better he went, than He look, was 1 and 15 and 3 and 13. But with the Eagles, with the he was 563. Yeah. Compared to Hugh Jackson, he is Vince Lombardi. <laughs> Again, Bruce, Bruce Coslett was Jackson another one we came job. up with. Another Jets uh, failure. Coslett, who had two, but yeah. he was he was. Uh, let's see. Well, he had a playoff game with the Jets. Yeah, but he he's three seventy nine overall. Three seventy nine. That's not good. Oh my god. Yeah, he was bad with the Bengals. He was worse with the Bengals than the Jets. So I'm not sure how we're going to put together a Mount Rushmore of all of this, but we will figure it out. Coming up next, um, we can identify what I think is going to be the most uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner in America. Plus, um, the most important story in sports is about to come to a head, and we'll explain right after this on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio again. Uh, if you are tuning in to hear me yell and scream about the Jets, I spent over an hour doing that at the beginning of the show today. It will be on the podcast. Just listen to hour number one. It's basically all that And at some point, it just became repetitive and depressing. And so I've now chosen to move on to other things. Something I thought was kind of interesting and you might enjoy. In case you missed it. I mentioned that we can identify what will be the most uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner in America. Did you know that Tom Izzo and Michigan State lost their opener last night? They lost their opening game to James Madison. Did you know that Tom Izzo's nephew coaches James Madison. Can you imagine that Thanksgiving dinner if they should happen to be together, uncle and nephew? It is written here, if my nephew Eric beat me in this manner, would he be invited to Thanksgiving? The answer is absolutely not. (laughs) I play golf with my nephew Eric all the time. He always lets me win. That's the way this thing works. I pay and he lets me win. Right, And I assume that this is a game in which they paid James Madison 
for the win, and they refused to capitulate. In fact, I would add, I assume this is a game that Izzo scheduled as a favor to his nephew. It was the least the nephew could do to make sure his team lost. By the way, his nephew's an assistant, so it wasn't directly, but... Not even that. Pretty direct. bad. One way or another, that's going to be one very uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner. That said... The Scoop. All right, speaking of Michigan State, they have a fascinating person working at their university... This person's name is Anil Jane. Are you sure that's how his first name is pronounced? No, but I'm just guessing. Anil Jane is a distinguished professor in Michigan State's Department of Computer Science and Engineering and is a nationally recognized facial recognition expert. Let me read that again. Anil Jane is a nationally recognized facial recognition expert. They have those. And that person has said that it is, quote, highly likely that the images of the man wearing sunglasses and a hat on the central Michigan sideline and of Connor Stallions on the Michigan sideline are the same person. Now I ask you the following question. Do you have to be a nationally recognized facial recognition expert to see two people in essentially the same place doing essentially the same thing and say, yeah, that's the same guy? I mean, I'm just going to tell you this right now. If I saw Hembo in two different places and you showed me two pictures of him, I would know immediately, yeah, that's Hembo. Yeah, that guy and that guy, yeah, they're the same person and they're both Hembo. But what if he was wearing sunglasses? Uh, sunglasses mm. and, seem, and a hat and seems to have grown a goatee between one and the other. Do we really need nationally recognized facial recognition experts to make this identification? Listen, how stupid do we think people are? If that wasn't Connor Stallion standing on the Central Michigan sideline, do you know what they easily could have done? Said, oh no, that's not Connor Stallions, that's Tom Benson. And he was standing there because he does this job for us. They could have cleared this up in five seconds. The moment this took 15 seconds to clear up, we no longer needed a facially recognized, no, a nationally recognized facial recognition expert to make this confirmation. How stupid are people? That's obviously the guy. What, 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 what other explanation could there possibly be? Well, we don't, we, don't, we don't know if it's him, but we don't know who else it is. We cannot identify this person who was standing on our sideline. And he looks a lot like Connor Stallions, and there's a reason Connor Stallions might be there. But despite Occam's razor, we're not willing to jump to that conclusion. Let's go get a nationally recognized facial recognition expert in order to try and clear up this mystery. You don't need Olivia Benson to figure this out. Now, multiple Bensons are your stand Yes, I don't know how it Why came up with that. Why did you use the Saints owner of the Saints to be your I don't even know why I came up with Gail that Gail Benson is <laughs> Anyone named Benson is involved in this. I don't even know how I came up with Benson, but that's none of that is the point. If, if that person was, you know, Fred Schwartz, They'd be like, oh, look, no, it's Fred Schwartz. He's standing here because this is what Fred Schwartz does. He stands in our games uh, wearing sunglasses at night with little blue lights that come on for no obvious reason. They're not videotaping the opposing sideline for Michigan or anything like that. That's not why he's doing this. But they couldn't produce that explanation. The coach said he was going to put his best people on it. Where are these people? 
The best thing they could do was go out and find one of their own professors, a distinguished professor, in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering, who is a nationally recognized facial recognition expert. How about just asking the people who give out the passes? Time out. Who's no, this that, guy? That's Time not out. even Central Michigan's guy. It's Michigan State's guy. McElwain's right. the one who said, we'll put our best people on it. Right. I'm going to call their facial recognition expert, not ours. Seriously. Yeah. Are we, do we not think this is fishy? That the facial recognition expert that we have elected to use is from Michigan State. It seems odd, right? That seems like it's an odd. It's a of bad all the look. choices, right? The other university school in Michigan, the right. biggest rival, could have gone without that. That said, right? That's probably a um, that's probably a bad choice. But of all the things that have been said to me aloud about this story, that's the one that makes the most sense. Okay. Secondly, though, uh, you are you are selling short this man's credentials because he is the winner. Of the King Sun Fu Prize. <laughs> and that is no joke. Wait, I got water in my mouth. Don't do the what? The King Sun Fu Prize. This guy's That's a, a prize? Are you not aware? What do you win it for? It's given to a living person in recognition of an outstanding technical contribution to the field of pattern recognition. <laughs> Only a living person? Yeah, they don't give it to anyone. They can't no, give no these, in, yeah. no one ever wins the mm-hmm. Kung, what is it? The Kung Sun Fu Prize. No one ever wins that posthumously. <laughs> no. Tom it's... Benson got it last year. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> this guy, he, is, he has conducted research for 50 years yeah. for as many advances in pattern recognition and biometrics. Has he ever been involved in anything as stupid, pointless, or obvious? Do you know who could have solved this crime? <laughs> Barney Fife. <laughs> who here knows who that is? Barney Fife. Don Knotts on the Andy Griffith Show with one bullet in his pocket that they didn't let him keep near the gun because he might accidentally shoot someone. Played by Don Knotts. Could have walked in there and said, yeah, Ange. No. Let's get Anil Jane on this instead. We need a national. We need a. What does he win? He won. The King Sun Fu Prize. We need the prize winner pattern of this recognition to recognize the pattern on the face of this schmuck who's standing <laughs> on the sideline thinking no one's going to see him by pulling his hat down. Listen, there are very few hard, fast rules in life, but one of them is if it's dark outside and only one person is wearing sunglasses, be suspicious. <laughs> Imagine you're Anil Jane, you're running biometric <laughs> algorithms in your lab, and someone calls you and says, is this guy this guy? <laughs> Hey, uh, 50 years. Professor Jane, uh, if I may, <laughs> we've got a very important assignment for you here. Um, ask somebody, ask them, ask them from the, the SEC, though. Like, this is like asking George Bush, like, did the Astros cheat yeah. in 2017? Like, ask, Fool me once. Yeah, a non-biased party to do the research. This whole story is so dumb that it, it, it's hard <laughs> for me to keep taking it seriously. But it is a very serious story. It is both very serious and very dumb. It is the strangest combination of serious and dumb that I can ever remember. I don't know what to say about it. Like, what am I supposed to say about this? They are actually, they needed a facial recognition expert to determine (laughs) that it is very likely that that's the same person. We've now been two months and a half since this day took place. No one in Central Michigan can tell us who it was. He looked at the, the, the two pictures and said... Yeah. yeah, same guy. <laughs> now back to my algorithm. That'll be $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. 
or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts. 